If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 1, if you'd give ear to the reading of God's word. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to the blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, through though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of the man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If your law had not been our delight, we would have perished in our afflictions. We will never forget your precepts for by them you have preserved our lives. Save us for we are yours. We have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy us, but we ponder your statutes. To our perfection we see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Thank you. 
Thank you, Father, for your word. Please help us to learn from it this day. In Christ's name, amen. We begin this study of Peter's second letter to the believers in Asia Minor. Paul also wrote letters in like character to this one to two different groups in the Greece, the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. Like Paul, Peter shows his spiritual interest and concern for the Christians he considers to be his spiritual children. In this letter, one of his main concerns is to warn the churches of Asia Minor about the dangers of false teachers who have come in among them. We see this epistle in three parts. First, an admonition to these believers to grow in grace. Second, he addresses a teaching concerning their need to stand firm, to stand firm against the doctrines of these false teachers. Third, he gives an exposition, an exposition on the end of the world, on judgment, and on the Lord's return. Peter, because of his age and because of God's prophecy about him, is aware that he has only a short time left in this life to minister to these people. He writes to help them grow, to grow in their understanding of the true doctrines of Scripture in order to help them stand up against these false teachers and their doctrines. He wants them to be prepared to reject heresy and to grow in spiritual maturity. He lays out before them an adoration to shake them from their false sense of security. He does this by calling them to grow in faith. Then he to add to their faith goodness and to their goodness knowledge and to their knowledge self-control. He shows they need to add to their self-control perseverance and to their perseverance godliness. Then their godliness, brotherly kindness, and to their brotherly kindness, love. What Peter is calling you to do is a development of spiritual virtues. Also an anchor of faith from which you can listen intently to God's word. Then grow in your witness and be a reflection. Be a reflection of all you have seen in Jesus Christ. So the witness of others in your life can be seen by many. In chapter 2, Peter goes all out to encourage these believers to grow spiritually. He works hard to strengthen them because he's so concerned with the dangers these false teachers present. He warns them of the great dangers these heretics who will come in among them can bring. They will bring very destructive heresies and corrupted lifestyles. He makes it clear that these men, these false prophets, will face punishment and ultimately total destruction. He reinforces this with examples from the scripture, such as the fallen angels, those people in Noah's day, and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. He shows that these present-day false teachers are of the same stripe as Balaam. You remember Balaam? His heart was so hard that God used his donkey in speaking to him. He wants them to understand that these men are there for one reason, to draw them away from the true gospel message and to make them slaves of sin once more. In chapter 3, the apostle continues by directing their attention to the coming day of the Lord. 
He shows that the day of the Lord is to be a day of judgment for all who have refused him, refused his truth. He gives them through this a sound doctrine of the end times. In this doctrine, he shows how this present heaven and earth will come to an end. As he closes this letter, his heart's desire for these people comes through as he exhorts them to be diligent, to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. He also calls them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This letter shows the great pastoral heart of this man. Peter knows how hard it can be to take these stands and not be turned away from following Christ. He went through the very thing on the night Christ was arrested. He reaches back and he pulls forward all of those terrible agonizing hours between his denial and Jesus' forgiving words. He pulls them to the forefront of his mind so that they are fresh to him as he warns the people of the dangers before them. He exhorts them to remember Christ, to remember Christ and all he has done for them, and to not be weakened by the flesh, but to stand firm in the truth of God's word. Let's look this morning at Peter's own introduction to this letter. He first makes clear who's writing these words. Then he speaks of those to whom he writes. Last, he lays out the purpose behind his writing of this epistle. The letter opens with the introduction of its author. Verse 1a, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. The name used is Simon Peter. The name Simon in Hebrew is a shortened form of the name Samuel, which means God has heard. When Jesus called him as a disciple, he named him Peter, which means rock. He is called either Peter or Cephas, which is from the Aramaic. The use of the two names, Simon Peter, is not uncommon in the scripture. Throughout the Gospels and Acts, he's referred to by both names. The early Gentile believers mostly spoke Greek, and they seemed to always use this double name. Luke called him Simon Peter in telling about his visit to Cornelius. The Apostle John refers to him most of the time as Simon Peter. It's interesting to note that Jesus in his restoration of Peter in John 21 calls him Simon, son of Jonah, and does not use the name Peter at all. We can only surmise here that this was because the significance of that name could not really be applied to him until after he had repented. Peter also calls himself a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. In this, he follows James and Jude, who also call themselves bondservants of Christ. But Peter uses a double title. He says he is both a bondservant and an apostle. For all who come to Christ are to be his servants. Peter does not place himself above any other believer or any other apostle. In saying this, Peter shows he remembers well the lessons his Lord taught. He remembers the words of Jesus in Mark 10, verses 30, 43 and 44. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever decides to become great among you shall be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He also can still see a kneeling Christ 
saying to them all in John 14, 13, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Peter will never forget the words of Christ as he's restored in John 21, 16. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. This man, Simon Peter, had been with Christ throughout his ministry. He had seen firsthand how this life of service was to be lived. He wants to share that understanding with all who hold dear the divine name of the Lord. Peter says he is ready and willing, willing to accept, obey, and fulfill the commands of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.16, he applies this same word, bondservants, to all believers. Reading from the NIV. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. This is what Peter wants to show you as his readers, that you must come living as he lived as a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter also calls himself by the word apostle. And by grace, he did become a leader in the church. Paul describes how he became an apostle. But Peter assumes everyone knows his testimony already. His introduction is simple. He is a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. The term apostle means one who has been sent. As the word apostle is used by Peter, it carries a very broad meaning. An apostle is one sent by God, but along with his being sent, he is also given the authority of Christ to act and speak on his behalf concerning all spiritual matters. Peter, in beginning his letter in this way, establishes that the words he brings in this epistle are the true words of the Lord Jesus, and they do carry divine authority. Whose apostle is he? He's an apostle of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus and of the Christ. Jesus is the name of the God-man, the name given him in flesh. Christ is his title as mediator. He is Jesus, the Christ. He is the God who has come in the flesh and the Christ who has taken on your sins. He is the Christ that delivered us from the curse of death. Peter declares himself to be an apostle of the only begotten Son of God. This office of apostle Peter has received is to cover his entire life. With this appointment came the responsibility to go into the whole world and make disciples of men from every nation, tribe, and language group on the face of this planet. He was to teach them all things he has learned from Christ. And that is what he is continuing to do in the writing of this second letter. In his first letter, Peter listed several areas in which those to whom he wrote lived. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithany. In this second letter, he doesn't do that. Instead, he writes in verse 1b, To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This clearly shows Peter's not interested in the place. 
His interest is in the spiritual condition of these people and of their spiritual connection with the rest of the church. He speaks to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. To get the complete picture presented here, you must examine the word obtain in the Greek. Now in the Greek, it is lankano. And it literally means to determine by lot or to obtain by God's will. Now, in Acts 1.17, you're told G- Judas obtained, that's the same word, langano, his part in Jesus' ministry from God. Have you ever thought about that? So Judas, even though he betrayed Christ, was made a disciple according to God's will in order to serve God's purpose in Jesus Christ's ministry. What Peter is declaring in this statement concerning faith received is that men receive their faith from God in accordance to God's will. Faith is not something that you can conjure up on your own. Faith comes from God. It is his gift to his people. When you obtain the new heart, you receive the gifts of faith and repentance. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then in Acts 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Without God giving the gifts of faith and repentance, there can be no salvation. You have received by God's grace the faith, the faith to believe Jesus Christ and the repentance to turn away from your sins. This work of salvation, according to Peter's statement, is the sole work of God in the hearts of his people. To complete the full understanding of what Peter is saying, we must also consider the term faith. Peter declares that he and his readers have this same faith in common. This has a double meaning. It means they both have the same types of faith, a faith of heart and mind. A faith of heart without a faith of mind is worthless. You have to have both. The faith of the heart is the holding to a particular body of truth, such as having the same creed. The faith of mind is the holding of trust in someone or some object. Commentators don't all agree on what Peter means here. I think he means both. He is looking at faith of the mind and heart. Why is he both necessary? To have only faith of the heart is to become subject to licentiousness. To have only faith of the mind is to become subject to legalism. You see that? Peter and Paul show they have both. Objective and subjective faith. They believe in Jesus as the Son of God, which can only come from the heart. They both believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which helps you to grow and understand the gospel and all Christ came to do. The heart and the mind must equally share the faith that opens hearts and minds to the truths of God's word. We know Peter's understanding comes from the scripture. 
To be true believers, it requires you have both a faith of heart and mind, and both, both must point you directly to Jesus Christ. This is also backed up by what Peter says. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The truth in this statement is that it is God who imparts the righteousness of Christ to his people. And it is Christ that provides the righteousness. This shows both an act of mind and heart. Peter then declares, you have obtained like precious faith with us. I think this refers back to Peter's statement about his being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This stresses his identification with you as believers. He says we're equals in this faith. What Peter received from God is no more valuable to him than what you receive is to you. It is faith from God that is precious in whomever it resides. Note, he also uses the pronoun us. He does that to show this applies not only to him, but to all the apostles, to those in Rome from which he writes. Jewish Christians are no more precious before God than Gentile believers. We are the same. We are his children. There are not two races. There are not two classes of believers. There's only one and all equally precious in God's sight. What does Peter mean when he says, by the righteousness of our God? Here, you need to look at the term righteousness. This is a very important term. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. It also refers to God's judgment concerning men. In fact, the New English Bible translates it through the justice of our God. This shows that God, through Christ had to pay the penalty for sin himself because man could not. Paul also shows the two concepts, faith and righteousness, are closely linked. Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Two points stand out here. First, faith is a personal reliance on God, a trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Second, righteousness is a gift from God that comes only by faith in Christ. John Calvin sums up this idea of righteousness when he says, through Christ it flows down to us. Faith is a gift, a gift given to open our hearts to God's righteousness and to our sinfulness. Righteousness is a gift from God because of our recognizing his holiness and placing our trust in Christ's works of righteousness all alone. This reflects Christ's teaching that no one, absolutely no one can come to him unless the Father draws them and no one can come to the Father except they come through Jesus Christ. You also see this in Peter's using both the name God and Savior Jesus Christ. In this, he stresses the divinity of Christ. This is the same thing Thomas said to Christ, my Lord and my God. It follows what Paul wrote in Colossians 2.9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is saying that the faith you as a believer hold 
must in your mind have this man Jesus Christ, who is God come in the flesh as his object. That's who you're looking to. That's who you're trusting in. It also says that your heart faith must be centered in the teaching and doctrinal truths of the Scripture. That's what you're founded upon. Because the Scriptures, which clearly teach from Genesis to Revelation about the man Jesus Christ, as well as about the plan of redemption he sent to deliver to his people, then to also perfectly reflect that plan. That's what Jesus came to do. He is a reflection of the character of God. He's a reflection of the foundation of God. Because of Jesus Christ, you as a sinner have been set free. Set free from bondage to sin, you have been made into a new creation. Your response is to joyfully sing with great thanksgiving as the hymn says, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Peter follows the usual rules in writing his letter. He first identifies himself, then notes to whom the letter is written. Last, he greets them with a salutation in verse 2. God, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the classic Christian greeting calling for grace and peace. He calls for it in the lives of those to whom you greet. We are brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our desire for you is that you have great grace and peace in your life. The thing that stands out in this is what Peter adds to it. Be multiplied to you. How can you increase or multiply grace? You ever thought about that? How can you do it? God is the source of grace. He's the one who gives all grace. How do you make grace grow? Grace in itself is the expression of God's qualities of mercy, love, and forgiveness. Therefore, Paul calls you to, for you to grow in the understanding of God's great and marvelous mercy, of his wonderful, indescribable love, and his freely given pardon. You want to grow in grace. Here it is. This is the way you do it. If you grow in these things, then you will increase in grace and you will also increase in peace. Peace is derived from grace and from grace alone. Peace flows from God's grace and fills men's hearts, giving to them great joy and comfort. Remember what the angels sang as they announced the birth of Jesus in Luke 2.14. We just sang it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. His favor was Jesus Christ. He sent Christ by his grace to bring peace to all men. Peace can never exist without grace. Therefore, Peter calls for grace and peace to increase in your life. How is this going to happen that grace and peace might grow in your life? This is the purpose for which Peter writes. He says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter's writing to teach all who read this letter about Jesus Christ and the gospel he brought from heaven to save his people. The word knowledge here in the Greek is a noun used in compound form 
and used to show the idea of acknowledgement. You must understand that the idea here is that knowledge is not mere facts and the leaning, learning of those facts is much deeper than that. It denotes knowledge of experience, of really and truly knowing something because you have experienced it. This is the knowledge that leads to believing and repenting. Have you been saved? Then you have a knowledge of grace. It is the knowledge that draws you into fellowship with God and causes you to hear and obey his commands out of love and appreciation for what he's done for you. He saved your soul. Everyone, everyone who receives from God a new heart has experienced this grace and peace and knows without question about God. In Hebrews 8:11, which quotes Jeremiah, it says concerning this knowing after receiving the new heart, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. How will you know? You will know because God will plant his law in your hearts and write it on your minds. This means we don't need teachers. It doesn't mean we don't need teachers, I'm sorry. It means that we have someone who will show us the truth, the Holy Spirit, who opens our hearts. We need teachers to make God's word clear. That's what he's talking about. But we don't need a teacher to tell us who God is. Because if we have a new heart, we know who God is. Because he's written his word on our hearts. Again, this clearly shows that salvation is the work of God and of God alone. It doesn't through the giving of the new heart and spirit, as well as his placing his Holy Spirit in your new heart to guide you into obedience and fellowship with him. All of that is bringing together the knowledge of God in your heart. In adding this to that, this is knowledge of both God and Jesus. Peter echoes the words of Jesus from Matthew eleven twenty seven. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son reveals him. This will be one of the major themes of this letter. You as a believer must increase in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes this epistle to encourage all to study, to know more and more about the glorious one who has given himself to save you from your sins. We need to be understanding that. We need to grow in our understanding of that constantly. My friends, as believers, your greatest desire must be to learn as much as you can about Jesus Christ. You should seek to learn of him as your Savior. It doesn't require an intellectual knowledge of all he has done, but you must have an experiential knowledge of him. It takes some of both. You must know of his birth, perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection victory. You can also gain these through the study of his word. You learn from study about all of these aspects of your salvation because, as Jesus said, the scriptures testify of him. You want to know about Jesus? Go to the Bible. However, you must also know Jesus in a very personal way. How? Through, through time alone with him in prayer. Do you pray? How often do you pray? You know, you can be one of these people that just do a minute prayer every now and then. Throughout the day. 
You're bringing things before the Lord. You're thanking him for things that happen. You're in prayer. Through answered prayer and the strength of faith. If you want to know God, then just listen for those times he answers your prayer. And he answers every one of them. You understand some of them may be no. And later on you'll find out why it was no. And you can thank him for that. You do it by an evidence of blessing and assurance that comes through that time with, with and trust in him alone. Place your hope, your trust in Christ. That's what you've got to do. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be ever learning more and more how to do that. You need to be learning how to have this experiential relationship that uh, you constantly be examining your heart. Always looking to your heart. Always studying your, your, your scripture and looking how it applies to you in your life. How it applies in your heart. In the light of God's word that you can see that Jesus is with you as changes occur in your life. Now, I'm sure every one of us as Christians can look back at times and see those times when God has caused change in our lives. And we have seen the results of those changes, how it helps us to grow. It's not seen in living a perfect life because that's beyond our reach. You can't be perfect in this lifetime. You don't earn from God by your works. It's seen as you grow in understanding your total dependence on him for your salvation. Recognizing Jesus as your friend, your brother, and your guide in each and every circumstance life places before you. In each of those circumstances, you are driven, driven to the recognition that there is only one who can deliver you from your sins and mistakes of this life, and that is Jesus Christ. Open your heart. Open your heart and let the grace of God as presented in Jesus Christ fill your heart. And save your soul. Let's pray. Lord, help us to increase in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to stay on the right path and having clean hands to grow in our relationship with you. Let our path be as the shining light which shines more and more under the perfect day. Let your word be like the rain that causes the flowers to grow. Cause our hearts to grow deep into your word like strong roots. Make our branches to spread and our beauty to shine. We pray all of this in the name of the Son of Righteousness, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.